Maddie. And welcome to The Millennial Minimalist. Today we are speaking with Colin Wright, a fellow millennial and one of the pioneers behind the minimalism movement. He is a celebrated writer and world traveler who is often recognized for living in a new country every four months. Colin is the blogger behind Exile Lifestyle, the author of over 30 books, the host of the Let's Know Things podcast, and an international speaker where he shares his lessons on how to live intentionally. Colin's minimalism journey began 10 years ago at the age of 24. Growing up in Missouri, Colin later moved to Los Angeles, where he eventually founded a successful branding studio. But despite the wealth that came with his success, his lifestyle was not aligned with what he truly wanted. He had never traveled outside of America, and he was passionate and curious about traveling the world. He then began to radically redesign his life. He eliminated all the excess things, packed his favorite items into a carry-on bag, and began working on the road and detailing his journey in his blog. And soon Colin opened his journey to his readers, asking them to vote on which country he should move to every four months. Colin has since traveled for nearly a decade and lived in several countries around the world, including Argentina, New Zealand, Thailand, Iceland, India, Romania, Czech Republic, and the Philippines, and visited 60 other countries. And while Colin has lived an extreme version of a simpler life, every minimalist journey is different. In our discussion, you will learn how you can design your own version of a more purposeful and intentional life. We were lucky to speak with Colin just days after he finished his 10-month speaking tour across North America called The Becoming Tour, and our conversation opens with this in mind. Congratulations on finishing your speaking tour. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. It's very exciting to uh, be able to sit still in one place for a couple of weeks. Oh, that's not, you can bake your bread again. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about it, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get set up in London soon, so I'm looking into all the uh, cooking accoutrement I need to accumulate there so I can bake bread through the end of the year. Amazing. Wow. So how are you feeling? Are you feeling zen? I'm sure there was some sort of stress involved in having to go across North America and speak at all these events. So Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit chilled out. It's nice to be able to sleep in on a regular basis. It's nice to be able to plan for existing at one location for a little bit. Uh, but also, I just I learned so much, met so many interesting people. I mean, so much has changed over the past 10 months. I feel very, very fortunate to have been able to do it. Yeah, no, I don't doubt. I'm sure there are many lessons that you learned from this tour. You spoke on how to live an intentional life, but I'm sure that was only one part of a lot of things that you spoke about. Yeah, yeah. One of the talks was primarily focused on that. And intentionality was kind of an excuse to uh, lead into a bunch of other root system-like concepts that I really wanted to talk about. Uh, and then the other was about the, the way that we see the world and, and different lenses that we can use to see the world. Absolutely. It's so interesting that it's now 10 years ago that you decided to redesign your lifestyle. Uh, can you really describe your transition and what triggered you to make this lifestyle change? Yeah, so back in 2009, I was in a, a pretty fortunate position, all things considered. Uh, according to most businessy metrics of success, things were going very, very well. I was making tons of money and had a, a good deal of professional prestige going on with the branding studio that I was running out in LA. Uh, but I had a moment in which I was able to kind of see things from a distance, to see the big picture for the first time in a, a very long time, right around my 24th birthday that year in 2009. And I was able to see from that distance that although things were going very well according to certain standards, they were not actually the metrics of success that I wanted to be prioritizing. Uh, 
it, it was definitely good and fortunate in certain ways, but essentially all the things that I actually cared about were being substantially backburnered, and they were things that I would get around to someday, and I was thinking them, thinking of those things as someday items, despite the fact that I, I kind of had the opportunity to do them then, if I was willing to take a bit of a risk, and if I was willing to, to pivot in a substantial way to make that happen. So... I took the opportunity. I, I transitioned uh, over to a new type of lifestyle. I, I started a blog and I scaled my business down to something I could run from the road. And I got rid of everything that I owned that wouldn't fit into a carry-on bag so that I could better and more lightly travel around full-time, which was the, the thing that all of that work was supposed to be for in the first place. But somewhere along the way, the the means to an end, the money that was supposed to help me do that thing had become an end unto itself, and I only just realized it then because I had that, that milestone. I know that you're a very curious person, and you're driven by experiencing new things and acquiring new knowledge. Is that something that you had written down uh, and realized, like, hey, like I'm not living up to this. I need to change this. Yeah, I mean, I basically the reason I took uh, that time and took that step back, it was actually a literal step back, a, a geographic and psychological step back. I, I took a vacation, and it was the first vacation of my adult life, and in the preceding five years, I've been running businesses full-time. So from age 19 until age 24, I've been working at like 150% and working 100-hour weeks, and in some cases 120-hour weeks when I was really going full throttle and, and was in crunch mode. Um, and it was fortunate that I had that, that vacation on the docket because otherwise I don't think I would have slowed down and had that realization. And the, the travel thing, the wanting to travel full-time, that stemmed from my childhood where as I got older, I... I've always been a reader and a very curious person who's trying to learn as many things as I can about the world. But as I got older, I realized that there were certain things that you can't read in books, that you can't learn from other people. You have to go out and do those things. And having myself grown up in the Midwest, in the, the middle of the Midwest in uh, Columbia, Missouri, my perception of travel was that it was an incredibly expensive thing because it's very, very expensive to travel from the Midwest to anywhere. It's just like this this island in the middle of a bunch of yeah. land and you yeah. can drive for days in any direction and not see much of anything. So for, for me, that drive to travel and wanting to do it on a regular basis stemmed from that desire to get out and learn things and to try to fill in some of the blanks in my mental knowledge web that I was trying to build up and flesh out. And uh, as a consequence, that led me on that, that five-year path, uh, the, at the end of which I realized that I'd kind of forsaken, or at least bare minimum, backburnered that initial, that initial catalyst. And I wonder why you had backburnered that, and maybe it was because of all the noise in, in the world, whether social, cultural, or digital. That's probably part of it. Yeah, I mean, part of it, too, is that it can be that there are challenges that are very fulfilling and interesting, I think, inherent in working very hard and doing difficult things and uh, achieving a certain type of success, even if it's not your personal custom tailored type of success. I think there's something very um, satisfying about that. But it's then it's a different type of satisfaction. And if you allow yourself to step back, then you can usually see that. But for me, it was such a long process and something that 
everyone around me was telling me this is correct and good. You are right. successful according to terms that we understand. So that how wonderful is that? How cool. So when you're being celebrated along the way, it can be very difficult to realize that you were never running the right race in the first place. Right. Oh, you're so successful. You're doing so well. You must be so happy. It's like, yeah, I am, but I, I could be happier. You know what I mean? But yeah. Yeah. It's hard to step back in life though and be so reflective the way you were and to analyze everything and you know, go back to your childhood and see what you want to do and the traveling. And, you know, that's really nice that you're able to do that. And I think even sometimes, especially with someone like you, you have to go out and like have success, that great success to realize that it's not the answer. It's not what you wanted. And that's when you can step back and be like, there's other things I want. So it's kind of nice that you got to see those both lifestyles. I'm glad that I got to do it, but I think ideally, for most people, they avoid reaching that far extreme. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it makes for an interesting story. It's, it's kind of like, a, here's why I'm doing this weird thing type of origin story, but I mean, the smarter way to do things is to allow yourself to stop and take stock and analyze things along the way so that you don't invest so much time and energy and resources getting to a finish line of a race that you don't actually want to run. So hopefully that's uh, that's the message that people tend to take away. Because for me, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I did it. I wouldn't do it any other way. And I think, yeah, for some of us, we, we do have to reach that end point before we realize that. But uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody else. I would uh, for most people, I would hope that they're able to reclaim some of that time and direct it in the right direction before they reach the end of the pendulum swing. Yeah, that's true. I have to turn around. So you kind of are perceived as this extreme version of minimalism, which can be a, a misconception behind the idea. And, you know, you talk about not following this path that everyone else is on. So how can people find this minimalist lifestyle that works for them or their, the path that they should be on? I think ideally it starts rather than than taking a, a first step and like chucking all your stuff out the window or into a dumpster or something. Ideally, it starts with pausing and reflecting and taking a step back and, and looking at yourself and your life and trying to figure out what you actually want, and then acting accordingly, like actually acting in accordance with the things that you want out of life as opposed to just chucking things and assuming that you'll get there when there's nothing left. That's, there's this very um, pervasive and, and pernicious misdefinition, I think, of what minimalism is. That's, it's, it's kind of the pop culture version of minimalism, where it's just getting rid of stuff, and it's maybe you know, living in a place with stark white walls and a, a couple of very expensive pieces of Scandinavian design furniture. <laughs> that's, that's the hashtag minimalism type of thing, and for a lot of people, that's what it is. It's... it's then, in, in a lot of people's minds, something only for wealthy people, and it's only for people who have tons of stuff to begin with and that they can then chuck out because apparently that's the thing that you're supposed to do. When in reality, I mean, the idea is to kind of right-size. It's not to get rid of everything. It's to make sure that you have the right things and ideally no more than that. And it may be that you already have a lot of good stuff, stuff that actually helps you achieve what you want to achieve, that helps you do what you want to do. Uh, and it may be that you want to get some other things. That's the other thing. It's, it's about spending your time, energy, and resources appropriately. So uh, taking that time beforehand to make sure that you, you know, sharpen twice before you start chopping, that to me is, is one of the better things that anybody can do because it then sets you on the right course before you start, you know, Hurling, hurling yourself headlong in the direction that you might not intend to go. 
Exactly. I actually have a good quote from a recent uh, book that I just finished. Uh, it's called Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And he says, in this world of hyper comparison, essentialists make decisions by design, not default. And I love that. Oh, I love that. So true. I mean, that's something that Lauren and I are working on now. I, I had mentioned to you before that the average person lives a thousand months. And that's something that we saw at a local art gallery where they actually had physical chips. And then some of the chips were taken out to showcase how many chips we have in this life that we live. And it really like puts everything in front of you and maybe realize, wow, we really do need to be more intentional with how we spend our time and our energy and our money. But you know, with that being said, Lauren and I are doing so, but we also find it very difficult sometimes because of cultural, social, and digital influence, especially for millennials, the fear of missing out. And we spoke about this with Courtney Carver, a friend of yours. And she says that I embrace Joe the joy of missing out, which I thought was a beautiful thing. <laughs> That's, it's an excellent acronym. I like that. Yeah. So, so that being said, how do you stay on track with your lifestyle goals? We, we use a bullet journal, which was uh, created by writer Carol, who I believe is also a friend of yours, to track our daily tasks. But how do you manage your life to keep on track? For me, it's it's a little bit looser. I've tried a bunch of things, uh, and things like bullet journals are great. I, I know a lot of people who use that type of method to great effect. For for me, it has to be very, very, very flexible and not super dependent on any one tool, typically, because I'm never quite sure what I'm going to have with me in any given situation because of the way that I travel and because of my lifestyle in general, the uh, the different situations that I find myself in. So the the kind of core, though, I think the, the root system of what allows me to, to check in on a regular basis is a, a routine that I have where I take 20 minutes a day to, to sit and do nothing. And it's, you can call it meditation. It's kind of loosely based on a type of meditation called the sim meditation, but it's not really that. There's no, there's no purpose behind it other than sitting and being with your brain. And you're not trying to own or clear your mind or do anything else. You're not listening to, to music or the sounds of dolphins or, you know, you're not doing anything. You're literally just sitting in silence and staring at a wall. And that, to me, gives me plenty of incentive to sit and just think through everything. And that allows me the time, 20 minutes a day, which could be utterly boring if I don't utilize it. So I usually sit and process absolutely everything that I've been thinking about. Um, and usually the, the first half, the first 10 minutes, it's a bunch of superficial stuff. And the, the latter 10 minutes, it's a bunch of deeper <laughs> stuff that I don't typically have the chance to think about. But the, at the end of that 20-minute period, I have had the opportunity to assess. And because I do it every single day, I know that I can take the time a little bit each day to think about things and reflect on things. And that gives me the, the opportunity to kind of check my coordinates and, and make sure to, to use another orienteering metaphor that I'm, I'm kind of calibrating my compass appropriately. I'm headed in the right direction, that my magnetic north is the correct one to begin with. And as a consequence, I can be more certain, at least, that I am moving in the right direction, taking the right footsteps in that direction, applying my feet in a way that I want to do so, and so on. Wow. Is, I love how you have kind of taken the concept of meditation and applied it to your life in a way that works the best. I think a lot of people have been asking me recently, hey, do you meditate? And I said, yeah, I actually do. But the way I meditate is not what you're thinking. You know, it's literally just me being by myself 
with the music off actually uh, and just laying laying in bed you know it can be it can be different for everybody um, well I close my eyes but I don't fall asleep but no I think it's a it's, it's a beautiful thing I mean just those moments where you can clear your mind even if that means someone just going for a coffee we call it white space but I love that you've you've kind of developed this habit system into your to your everyday I'm sure it not only helps you keep on track but improves your productivity during the day every day yeah, it absolutely can. I, if nothing else, just having that contrast because we we are incentivized by our brains, but also everything in our environment around us to to stay engaged, to stay entertained or distracted or not bored, pretty much all the time. So distancing yourself from that and doing the exact opposite can startle your brain into doing things a little bit differently too. So I think it does, it, it can, uh, it can catalyze creativity alongside allowing you to feel more calm and, and reflective of things on a regular basis. Absolutely. And it's also a huge challenge. People don't realize that. Yes. It's hard. You gotta get used to it. I'm always like sitting, looking out the window, reflecting. And people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm reflecting on my life. And they're like, you're so weird. It's so funny. Like, no, you're weird. <laughs> we laugh about it because we say Lauren is, is real. When someone asks her, what are you doing right now? You know, most people would say, oh, I'm so busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And this. Lauren's like, I'm just sitting on my couch looking out the window. Yeah. She's so real. <laughs> I love it. I'm honest. <laughs> I love it. So I kind of, I want to ask, you know, you do so much traveling. You just finished your tour. Like, what does the future look like for you? Like, do you see yourself owning a home or like what kind of stuff would you have in your home? Like, where do you see yourself in the future? Yeah, it's always a difficult question to answer. Uh, not because I don't have things that I, I have in mind. At, at any given point, I have like seven or eight things that I've been sort of kind of planning for or planting the seeds for anyway so that then when I reach the moment when I might do one of these things and I can see what's sprouted and what assets or advantages or whatever else I might have in place that makes me ready more ready or less ready to do that particular thing and that can help inform my decision but part of the hesitancy too is that I don't know we're we're very often incentivized or encouraged to, to plan way ahead and to say, you know, five years or 10 years, what are you going to do? And I'm just, I'm such a different person today than I was five years ago. The idea of having the five year old or five years younger version of myself making decisions for me today is just horrible to even think about because that guy didn't know as much as I do. He is not the same person. Why should I let a more ignorant version of myself make decisions that I adhere to today? And, and as a consequence, I try to leave things very, very flexible. And that it doesn't mean that I don't plan. It doesn't mean that I don't invest in the future. It doesn't mean that I don't save money and try to get assets and try to get skills and try to build relationships and try to do all the things that you're supposed to do. I just try to do it in a very malleable way so that it's a flexible framework rather than a rock solid, you know, concrete lined path to a particular place that I decided on five years previous that for some reason now I have to stick with. Otherwise I will have to dynamite all of that work that I did before, uh, which is a very long winded way of saying, I'm not sure. Uh, I love that. <laughs> in, the, in the near future, I, I just finished a tour, and in the near future, I will be going to live in London through the end of next year to spend some time with my girlfriend, who I haven't seen in several months. Perfect. That's great. Yeah, it's, no, that's okay. I mean, we live in a world, especially in Toronto, it's just 
it's an ambitious city and I mean if you're if you're on the street at 9 30 in the morning people are like what do you do well why aren't you in the office you know it's it's, that's you know there's a way there's a way of living here there nine to five is just you you should have a nine to five basically here and that's kind of the vision for everybody's future like you should oh where are you going to be in five years if you don't know it's kind of oh that's weird like you should know but nobody really knows um <laughs> and and it's okay but it's also scary but there's something beautiful about that there's it's spontaneous there's something beautiful about that however you are laying a foundation for what you do want because we're going to change every five years as you say i mean i know from even for myself five years ago i was a different person than i am today and i feel like every five years we just get better and better because we're learning and learning on that same note i i, I read a recent blog post by you uh titled no need and you asked your readers what would you do if there was no need to do anything and i'm curious what inspired you to write this piece and what your goal was for for the readers yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. I think the idea there, and when I talk about that particular topic, is to try to get people to think about some of the things that I've tried to get myself to think about over the past decade or so. Because the the initial idea behind this type of lifestyle, one was try, to try to allow myself to travel and to have a freedom of movement, but I also wanted to have a freedom of time. And like vitally important to me was the ability to be able to just sit around all day and read a book if I wanted to. I wanted to set things up in such a way that I was able to to liberate all of that time to spend however I chose because that seemed like this incredible luxury to me, especially coming from the polar opposite end of the spectrum where I was giving all of my time in exchange for money at arguably a not super great conversion rate. So thinking about that was part of what pushed me toward it, part of what allowed me to endure all of the discomforts and make all the sacrifices required to do so. And it seemed to me that if I could get other people to think about the same, it might be something that nudges them in a direction, probably wildly different from mine, but in a direction that makes sense for them. And if they're thinking about what they would do if they were able to liberate more of their time and energy and resources, that might be something that then could help instigate or catalyze change. Helps you really kind of uncover what you truly want. And I think it really does challenge people to think about that. And something that Lauren brought up actually a couple of months now, you really need to sit down and, and think about, hey, you know, there are a lot of people who are working in a direction or in a job for money, for example. Let's say I'm an iBanker and I hate my job. I'm working as an iBaker because I need to make money to support a lifestyle, but the lifestyle you may actually not even need or want. So you're spending all your time doing something you don't enjoy to afford a place that you don't even use. And you could really, you know, step back and say, hey, you know, what are my interests? In? I actually can live on a certain amount of money. Lauren made me realize, it's like, hey, everybody has a target number. Like, if I made this amount of money, I'd be happy. I'd be fully happy. But really, do you need that much money? How much money do you actually need? Especially when you ask that question, if there's no need to do anything, like your interest, like literally will pop out of you. People always pick this like arbitrary um, figure that they want to make every year. I always (laughs) try to work backwards with this. Like, what is the lifestyle that I want to live? And how much money do I need to make to live that lifestyle? And am I happy with the work that I'm doing? And could I, you know, have a bit less? Like, could I go out less? Could I shop a bit less? And then I'm like you, like I, my dream day is to just sit and read an entire book and then go to bed. Like that is my dream life if, if I can, if I can do it. So 
And people never think of this stuff. They just go about their life and they don't question anything. They don't take a step back and reflect. So it's really yeah, important. It's, I mean, we've been sold on these ideas for a very long time. And not just by marketers. We're sold on these ideas by very well-meaning people in our lives who, who want us to be okay, who want us to be safe, who want us to be secure. Yeah. And to them, because they've been told the same thing by well-meaning people in their lives, um, you need to earn a certain amount of money because for them or their priorities or some other person's priorities that they that were shared with them at some point, that's the amount that you need to be stable. That's the amount that you need for some set of priorities that may not necessarily be your priorities. Which goes into the next question perfectly. When once you rid yourself of all your possessions and you know you left your job and you were able to do so much from starting companies to publishing books, what would you say was the biggest benefit or the best part of this lifestyle? Or has been, yeah. Or has been. Yeah, just the, the freedom to apply my energy however I want, to to go the places that I want to go, to create crazy experiments that, <laughs> that I have no reason to do other than just thinking it would be interesting and that I might learn something interesting. Uh, the ability to spend time with people I care about, the ability to do projects that won't necessarily earn me any money, to invest myself in things because I think they will be educational or cool or whatever other reason that seems important to me at the time. The ability to do that kind of stuff, to, to prioritize differently, that is by far, in, in all its different permutations, by far the biggest benefit of this. You're really, really focused, and I feel like you've kind of built a lifestyle that allows you to do deep work and spend time doing everything that you enjoy. That being said, I would say that the majority of us, especially millennials, one of our best friends is usually our smartphone. So when it comes to your digital tools, what practices have you put into place in order to manage these tools? So on a regular basis, I go through my devices in general, but the, the smartphone is the, the like you said, the, the one that tends to be with us like a friend yeah. most of the time. So that's the, the key target for a lot of this type of behavior. Uh, I go through my devices, see what powers I have, what settings have changed, what abilities I have in terms of adjusting the way that they influence me or interact with my life or things that I can accomplish with them to try to make sure that I stay educated about that. But then bare minimum, the, the thing that's probably made the most difference for me in terms of being able to to sustain focus and being able to to do it in such a way that I don't feel like I'm always about to be interrupted is to turn off all of my notifications, just to, to keep them all off all the time so that there's no blings or buzzers or beeps or pings or vibrations or anything else so that that device cannot control my routine. It cannot tell me when to look at it when I'm trying to do something else. And this is something that not everybody can probably do because of all kinds of responsibilities and, and other priorities, but some variation of it or even just doing it part of the day or something like that. It's amazing what happens when you're able to set it aside and do other things and not have it cry out for attention from across the room begging to be held like a kitten. Like the, the ability to just look at other stuff and do other stuff. It's remarkable over time, if you do that long enough, how seldom you actually reach for it and how over time then your habits kind of recalibrate so that when you pick it up, you pick it up for a specific purpose and you do that thing and then you set it down. Yeah, and it's actually scary when you begin testing yourself in terms of putting your phone away and you see yourself reaching for something. It's, it shows you, wow, I'm actually addicted to this. And I will admit yeah. personally, 
we recorded an episode on how to declutter your smartphone. Lauren and I completely renovated our smartphones in an amazing way. Uh, before that, I realized, wow, I am addicted. And I'll admit that, but I'm not anymore uh, because I've been able to get rid of all the apps that I don't use and only have those apps that actually amplify my life. So I'm using my phone with greater intention. I know I'm not perfect. Everybody's imperfect. You can't be perfect all the time. But again, just like your advice, turning off the notifications is huge because our phones are kind of built for us to react to them all the time. So if we can change that, we can be in control of them. So. Amen to that. Yeah. I mean, it's a literal chemical reaction too. it floods us with pleasure chemicals. When we pick up the phone and see notification signals in the little red bubble, uh, that's primed. It's built in that way so that we feel like society is appreciating us and that triggers pleasure chemicals in our brain. And eventually we're trained like Pavlov's dog to seek that out. So it's, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not something for most people, at least it's not something that will come right away. So if anybody's tried to do this and it didn't immediately work keep on doing it keep on trying because eventually you can wean yourself off of it but it is an actual chemical dependence that you're fighting against here absolutely yeah it's crazy I have a drawer in my condo where I keep my technology like my laptop and like this um, podcast mic and I one day I was like oh, I should put my phone in here because it's technology it belongs in the technology <laughs> drawer and I was like oh, my phone is this stupid piece of technology that controls my entire life and it just belongs in this drawer like once you wake up to it, it it's crazy but no I've gotten a lot better with putting my phone down and just when I go to it every few hours responding to the messages responding to emails and then just not looking at it for the next few hours so I think you only look at your email what three times a day or something I try to yeah That's smart it is and even instagram like i'll download it maybe once or twice a month and i'll message back people i'm like hey sorry it's been a couple of weeks for this message i, I don't have instagram for those phone. who can some people yeah. have to be on instagram i know colin you have a great instagram page so i mean again you have to be on top of that but i'm sure you you've kind of built in some habits that you're not on it all the time yeah. oh yeah I, I don't really use it much at all except to post things i i it, with things like that, I, I try to look at them as tools and say, okay, so what does this do for me? What is what is the thing I want to accomplish? If the, if the answer is nothing or if it's not something that's actually beneficial, then I don't use it. But with things like Instagram, it was such a huge uh, megaphone, such a, a wonderful way to reach people that I wasn't able to reach in any other way. So to be able to share things about my tour, but also things about like just travel photos is mostly what I post. So the ability to show people these things that they might not otherwise see. And, and I get messages from people on a regular basis about how they saw this one random thing that I posted and that helped them decide to finally take that trip that they were thinking about. Things like that. So I, things like that can be useful, but right. they are definitely built in such a way that you have to kind of fight for it and struggle for it and figure out precisely how you want to use it. Otherwise, it's incredibly easy for even a very intentional person to get uh, caught up in the dark patterns and other things that keep you rooting around in those systems. Yeah, absolutely. I actually love social media for the fact that, I mean, I, I've lived overseas uh, and I have friends around the world. And so it keeps us connected. And I think that's like, that's a huge value add because people's numbers change. Their LinkedIn page and their Facebooks usually do not change. So, so that's really helpful. But uh, okay, so I have um, a question for you because because you're a fellow millennial, uh, Lauren and I specifically, we believe that we are unlearning what our parents taught us. 
you know, the idea that we want less, we want sustainable products, we want flexible work. And our economy, I would argue, is in many ways listening and adapting. Um, so as a fellow millennial and minimalist, uh, do you think that we have the power to influence our future economy in a responsible and purposeful direction in a big way? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I mean, we're going to, even if we, we don't, uh, even, even if it's not built that way, even if it's not primed in such a way to allow us to do this, we're going to have to figure out a way to make this happen because it's a, for a lot of different reasons, a fairly vital thing, a fairly vital shift that we're going to have to make. And it's not just our, our parents' generation. It's, it's essentially every generation throughout history that's been built up and, and building different imperfections into the system. And they got a lot right. I mean, those exact same people did so many of the things that we take for granted today that are just absolutely wonderful about the world. But I, I think it's up to each new generation to come in and say, okay, that stuff, that was great. Antibiotics, hey, that was a pretty good idea. Um, you know, things like that. But then to go in and find the imperfections as well, putting the antibiotics in meat, maybe not as ideal, uh, encouraging everybody to just consume, 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 and defining ourselves and our value to society in terms of what we consume and produce, maybe not as positive a thing. And, and so we do have the ability, just like every other generation before us, to go through and improve upon what came before. And I, I do think that we will and I think that we are and just by meeting other people who fit loosely into that that kind of fluffy group called millennials but then also people who are in the, the next generation too I've met plenty of teenagers who are just so self-aware and so intentional within the, the scope of what they've already got uh, in terms of potential right now so I, I think we've got a lot to look forward to in both accounts. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you. And it's really exciting. I think I think the corporations are listening because we are going in a different direction. We're saying, hey, like, we don't want to buy your product. We don't need it. Or it doesn't uh, align with our values, for example. And, you know, especially when it comes to the fast fashion industry. Uh, Lauren and I have uh, taken on uh, Courtney Carver's Project 333 Challenge. So we're living by our means, especially with our wardrobe. So but uh, it's really exciting, especially for me. I love the idea of the flexible work culture. I'm, I, I went from a corporate environment to now working as an independent contractor, and I love it. And it's just like kind of taking that, that leap. And I know it can be a challenge for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people think, of it this, think about it this, these days because the startup culture is really on the rise. And there's so many startup work, workplaces now. And, yeah, it's exciting because you can now – craft your work around your lifestyle rather than your lifestyle around your work, which is a huge plus. Absolutely. So where do you actually see the future of minimalism going? Like, do you think that it's kind of going to get worse with consumerism before it gets better? Do you think more people are moving into the minimalism movement or like, what's your perspective and viewpoint on it? Where we're going in the future? I, I see two main dominant paths that are occurring simultaneously right now. Mm -hmm. And there's the, the kind of hashtag minimalism version that is um, not, not inherently bad, but it's something that is usually a very superficial view, at least comparably to, yeah. to other types that that's occurring where people look at minimalism and say, Oh, you know, you have to own a certain number of things and you can only own these very few, you know, everything is like white colored or very desaturated colors and you have to live in a very expensive place with very expensive stuff. And it, it's basically a marketed branded version of minimalism that revolves around the same old pattern of consumption, but with a particular style attached to it. So there's, there's that version that is anywhere from 
just being consumption and conspicuous consumption as normal, all the way over to being something more like a cult where people are telling each other, you must own certain things and own things in this way and do it in this way, which, which to me is not a legitimate view of it either. But then on the other extreme, we also see a lot more people from a lot of different backgrounds, economic and age and cultural and regional and everything else coming to the, the core concepts, even if they might describe it in different ways or practice it in different ways, uh, of essentially just doing, uh, doing more things that allow them to focus on what's most important to them, spending more of their time, energy, and resources on those most vital things, which then tends to reverberate outward and affect not just the way that they spend, but also the way that they live, the types of relationships that they have, the type, types of work that they do. Absolutely everything becomes a little bit better calibrated to actually help people get more of what they want. And as a consequence, those lifestyles tend to be a whole lot less wasteful and a lot less rudderless as well. So the that equal and opposite bidirectional uh, evolution, I think, is happening for the same reason. It's the fact that we have so many more megaphones these days. We can reach so many more people. We've got so many more voices. We've got fewer gatekeepers. We've got all these really wonderful things that are wonderful holistically, but there's also often a dark side to these things because that also means that very negative voices can take them. They can be appropriated by some of the people or the very entities that they're typically speaking out against or the people who are, or, or entities that are currently making things non-ideal. That, that bipolar motion with this where we've got both sides has me both excited and a little bit concerned because it's never certain which voice is going to win out and it could be that they kind of counter each other out if we're not careful with it. If we, um, if we promote the concept in the wrong way that reinforces the, the superficial cult-like version or the consumer-driven version of minimalism as opposed to the more um, holistic philosophical uh, philosophy or ideology version. Absolutely. And you know what Lauren and I are trying to do is we're really trying to live by example. We're saying, hey, like these are the things that we're incorporating into our lifestyle. And these are the things that we're changing, expanding on, etc. You know, one thing to think about is a lot of people, maybe they live with somebody who doesn't live simply, or they have parents who have a lot of stuff. <laughs> which a lot of us do, uh, Lauren mm -hmm. and I especially. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so again, we, we, we're not telling them, hey, you need to live this way. We're just living by example and saying, hey, like, look at look how our, my lifestyle is improving. And my parents have started to adopt so many principles of minimalism. And it's literally just them doing it on their own. It's not me pushing it on them at all. It's an amazing thing. So if we can create that ripple effect, like that would be huge. So I'll, I'll take on the challenge and I'll battle the other side. <laughs> and, and again, like you said, I, I've experienced the same thing where in most cases, it's not about proselytizing. It's not about going out and trying to convert anybody. It's just living well. And if people ask, then, you know, if you want to, if you have the time and energy, if you're feeling up to it, then share what you can. But it's definitely not something that you need to push. And I think it's, in fact, more effective in terms of seeing that broader change if you just do your best to live well according to your own standards and then let other people take what they want from that and run with it in their own way. Exactly. I love that. I knew you would say that really well. <laughs> I'm all like motivated right now. I'm like, yes, just do what you want. Like, don't follow anybody else. Honestly, like, it, it's so easy to say. It's not. It's not an easy journey, but 
it's a beautiful thing. Like you're just so much more peaceful and Zen. And anyways, I could argue about minimalism for days. I just love it so much. Uh, But to close, we wanted to ask you what your favorite quote is like a quote that you maybe live by. Oh, I always have trouble with this question. I've I've been asked different versions of this. And usually I just kind of, I I take a quote that I think is good. Uh, And and there's a bunch that I could probably go to, but I can, I'm going to try to explain my actual answer to this. I, I tend to generally think it's more ideal not to necessarily live by anything that anybody else has said and to instead try to become your own best quote book and be your own observer and your own explainer of what's happening in your life so that rather than taking something that somebody else has said and then trying to look at the world through that lens, through somebody else's way of looking at things, the way that somebody else describes something, you can come to your own conclusions about it and maybe look at similar things and phrase it a slightly different way or provide a slightly different lens for somebody else to use uh, or bare minimum, at least not have this pre-existing expectation of the way that you need to look at things. It's, it's possible to look at what other people have said and the way that other people have said things and to appreciate it and say, oh, that's, that's an interesting, valuable way of looking at the world. And then to still try to live through your own lens, to try to still see things from your own specific point of view so that that point of view is not preemptively reshaped by somebody else's perspective. Hopefully absolutely. that makes sense. No, absolutely. absolutely. So that, that, that's my colorful way of saying it. No, no, no. I really have a favorite quote. Yeah, no, that, that actually, no, very, very colorful. But no, that makes sense. Again, it goes back on our idea of like, you really need to find what's true to you. So what I personally like to say is love and be loved. Uh, find an interest and build a passion and give back. So those are kind of my three. And it's so mm-hmm. funny that, you know, it's true. Like my, my three are, are from, from something that I've created out of, things that I've read. So oh, perfect. It's, it's true. It's true. Um, you know, I don't really have a favorite quote either. So it's, thank you for giving me that perspective. It makes sense. Um, <laughs> I'll give you that excuse if nothing else. Could you provide um, one or two pieces of advice for those who are looking to live a more intentional life? Yeah, I'd say first and foremost, make sure that you know what intentional means for you. Take that time, slow down, pause if you need to. And allow yourself to really ask yourself the difficult questions, because for a lot of us, we, we have an idea of what it is that we want, of who we are, of the things that we care about. And almost always, especially early on, those are things that we've actually inherited from somebody else or things that we've adopted from some kind of marketing message or, or some type of ideological message. It's not something that's purely us. It's something that's predicated based on somebody in our environment or our, our circle or something that we've seen somewhere. Um, those things might line up perfectly once we think about it, but giving yourself the chance to question those things and more accurately triangulate who you actually are and what you actually want, that is always going to be time well spent. And try to do that as on a regular basis as you can possibly muster. I would also say just be good to people, which it's, it seems like a really weird piece of advice, but there's so much advice out there that implies otherwise, or at least implies not making it a focus. And I think if you go into the world and you, you try to just lead with that and just say, I'm going to leave people better than I found them. I'm going to do my best to make sure that bare minimum, I'm not hurting anybody. But but ideally, I try to leave people better than I found them. If you go into the world with that idea, you tend to treat other people better, but you also 
tend to treat yourself better because you are not somebody who's going out trying to hurt other people and therefore you don't deserve your own disdain and you don't subconsciously uh, do things to yourself that you feel like are justified. You, you treat everybody, including yourself, a little bit better. And that leaves the world a better place in your wake, but it's also something that just allows you to enjoy people and things and experiences better as well. Very well said. Yeah, I love that. I've always said I think part of the meaning of life is how you treat people. Absolutely. And there's a ripple effect, etc. Well, thank you so much for your time yeah, today, Yeah, this is Colin. so nice. There's so much wisdom. I feel so zened out, and I hope it added to your... <laughs> we have like 45 pleasure. recorders on right now, so don't worry. Everything is done today. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so where can our audience find you? Uh, best place to start is probably colin.io, where I have a, a blog called Exile Lifestyle, and then I have a podcast called Let's Know Things. Which I'm obsessed with. So highly oh, recommend you. Let's Know Things. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks again, and hopefully we can chat with you soon, probably maybe in a year from now and see where you are. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Sounds cheers. Thanks, thanks, Colin. So much, Colin. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.